0: We're checking in today with one of our frequent and favorite guests, Yaakov Katz, military analyst, author, and former editor of the Jerusalem Post. We cover the key issues of the moment, how Israel will deal with the delicate matter of Shifa Hospital, the largest in the Gaza Strip, which sits atop the main headquarters and operational hub of Hamas. And Hamas is resisting any efforts to evacuate the hospital patients, because then it will be exposed to the IDF. Hamas prefers to use civilians as a shield. The complexity of this war, after almost 20 years of Hamas entrenchment in the Gaza Strip, and a whole underground city and network of tunnels and rooms, is really unprecedented. And then, of course, there is the matter of the 240 hostages being held. Infants, children, the elderly, foreign nationals, Hamas has clearly been feeling the burden of keeping the hostages alive with adequate food and medication. And there is hope that this will increase the possibility of some sort of deal with Israel. Hostages for a brief ceasefire. Finally, we pop up to the northern border to look at the low-boil conflict between Hezbollah and Israel, which could erupt at any moment. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel currently residing in the fabulous state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. So good to see you, Jakob Katz. Welcome back to the state of Tel Aviv.
1: Thank you, Vivian. Always great to be with you.
0: Always great to have you. Let's start with the Gaza situation, though. Can you just give us an overview? We're hearing a lot about hospitals, ceasefires, humanitarian pauses. Tell us how things look from your perspective. I
1: think overall... The operation in the northern Gaza Strip, and it's important that we stress that the ground forces are operating strictly as of now in the northern Gaza Strip, uh, is going well, relatively well. Yes, there are losses. Yes, uh, sadly, casualties. But the destruction of and degrading of Hamas's infrastructure, the killing and capturing of Hamas fighters and terrorists, that is progressing. We're facing a big standoff with decisions hey be made on the ground when it comes to the Shifa Hospital. And Shifa Hospital, to our listeners, who I'm sure by now have probably been educated in, in, in what the hospital is and what it means, but it's the largest hospital in Gaza and there in Gaza City. And uh, underneath it, according to Israeli intelligence, Hamas has some of its most advanced and sophisticated and extensive uh, command and control war room operational rooms that are underground in bunker systems beneath the hospital. For Israel to be able to take that away from Hamas, it would need to go into the hospital. We know that the Americans, particularly Secretary Blinken, has said publicly, I think also Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, that America does not want to see Israeli troops moving through the different uh, wards of that hospital, right? That might have to happen. We've seen a lot of people who have evacuated the hospital in the last few days. There were a lot of uh, displaced Palestinians who were camping out in the wide open area at the entrance to the hospital, but a lot of them have left with, there's still several hundred there. This is going to be a huge, complicated operation. And we can only imagine, Vivian, that what those images will look like if you have Israeli soldiers moving through the oncology ward or the internal medicine ward or the pediatric ward and what what that's going to look like. So
0: let me just jump in there for a second to clarify a few points, because my understanding is that the hospital is drip by drip being evacuated. Patients are being moved. And I share Secretary Blinken's view that I'd prefer not to see IDF troops in the halls of Shifa Hospital as well. I think they'd prefer not to have to go there. But it's we really like the IDF doesn't really have much choice if it's going to cut off the head of the snake, which is the main operational headquarters of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Am I right in that? You don't have to convince me. I okay. with you. I think that there is
1: a when you look at the when you look at a war, you have two clocks that are ticking simultaneously. You have the clock of how the troops are operating and what's moving on the ground. And you never want your forces to be static. You want them constantly be pushing forward and moving that line of contact forward. But you have a second clock, which is the international legitimacy clock, let's call it, especially, well, this pertains to Israel, like America. The Israel.
0: Yeah. Right. Israel America doesn't inter-
1: need international legitimacy because they're the ones who give it. But Israel requires that. And as a result, that is going to run out even faster the moment that those images start to come out. Now, Israel's tried. Israel has had some success with evacuating some hospitals because there are bunkers under other hospitals. Shifa has been a little more, faced more resistance and more difficult to, to get people to evacuate. Some have but it's not going as, as, as fast as Israel would like it to be. And I think the decision is going to have to be made at some point, does it skip over Shifa, does it go into Shifa? I think we can imagine for a moment without go, giving up anything classified that there are special forces who are training for this operation as we speak, to go into those very deep and, and extensive tunnel networks under Shifa and to go in there and, and cause some destruction. Now, what Israel also has to be careful about, just to also explain to our listeners, that it's one thing to see soldiers inside the hospital. It's another thing to send troops down to the tunnels. Now, ideally, you don't ever want to be fighting in a tunnel. So the best case scenario is you want to destroy the tunnel. But if the tunnels are so extensive that if you destroy the tunnel, you threaten the viability of that building to remain standing, you will be facing an even bigger problem. So Israel is facing very bad options, but we can't mm. ignore the fact that this is a prime Hamas target. And, and any other country in the world that would be facing an enemy the likes of this would have, will have to do what, what, what will have to be done. So I think that this is a big decision that's going to, have to be made, I think, in the coming days.
0: Do you have any idea why the evacuation of the hospital is taking so long? Presumably, there are other hospitals to which they can move the patients. I understand that when you're dealing with an NICU and preemie babies, that any movement is potentially catastrophic. But this evacuation of the hospital has been an ongoing project for like a couple of weeks, maybe a week. That, How yeah. long and why is it taking so long? Hamas doesn't want people to evacuate. Sadly, that's the truth. Right? Israel came
1: in the middle of the night, two nights ago the dead of the night, dropped off 300 gallons or liters of fuel. Soldiers risked their lives and went deeper into an area that they have yet to clear out, to be able to put fuel there so they can use that for the hospital. Hamas will not take it, right? So Hamas wants, I know this is hard for people to listen, to, to believe, but Hamas wants those babies that you mentioned to die and to be killed by Israel. Hamas wants that because they want People to continue to demonstrate against Israel around the world. They want the Biden administration to crack down Israel. This is their MO. This is how these guys operate. And if we, in my view, skip over this target, we're basically giving immunity to a terrorist organization. Now, again, that doesn't mean I'm not in favor of just indiscriminately bombing Shifa Hospital. But I think that we cannot give up on this target. And we have to stick to our determination to
0: evacuate that hospital to the best way possible to be able to go in there. It's interesting. I noticed yesterday that Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, put out some rather snarly statements about what Israel was doing to the uh, people of Gaza generally, but in particular, Shifa Hospital. And it was very strong language and condemning Israel, of course. On the other hand, the EU um, released either yesterday or the day before a very long statement, and they made all kinds of points. But they also clearly stated, we condemn Hamas' use of Shifa hospital and their use of civilians as a shield. And I I don't know that we've ever heard something that unequivocal from the EU before in this regard. And maybe I'm hallucinating, but I'm wondering if we're starting to see a slight kind of tilt in international opinion.
1: There's Another really good example on what you're saying with Emmanuel Macron, President Prince, who spoke, was interviewed, I think it was BBC, and seemed to come out very critical of Israel. But apparently then Alize the, Palace came out and said, no, the, the video had been edited. And cut. And he then was so upset that he called up President Herzog to clarify and put out a statement saying, no, I completely support Israel's right to act in self-defense. Look, I think that we, we have to make a distinction between political class and crazy, stupid wackos who are on the streets, right? Sorry to say it that way, but these people are... There's something seriously wrong with them to march in favor of a barbaric, vicious terrorist organization that would probably kill many of them, like the people who march queers for Palestine. So I think the political class is still standing strong with Israel. That also answers your question about the EU. But if they're when it comes, though, to a target like Shifa, without drawing too much on it, it could be a watershed moment because yes. if there are gunfights in wards, if there are if the electricity goes out and the. ICU suddenly stopped. Just th- imagine how many horrific scenarios we could play through our minds. I don't know. I don't know a good outcome here if we can't get that place evacuated.
0: So that's the hospital. Aside from that, there's tremendous focus on the allowance of what's being called now humanitarian pauses. It's very clear to the world Israel is not doing a ceasefire. So humanitarian pauses, which are where conflict and shooting stops for a period of several hours and allows civilians to move safely from one part of the Gaza Strip to another. How is that working and like on the ground and how is it being received, in your view, internationally?
1: Look, the international pauses, as they're being called, the Americans have said they would like to see a bigger break right? One that includes maybe spans over several days. And they've been making the argument that this is important to be able to achieve a a deal that could see some of the prisoners released. Israel has been standing its ground and is refusing to do that because, and I think it makes sense, anyone, any ceasefire today is a victory for Hamas. To redeploy, to rearm, to reposition. It makes no sense. I don't often agree with Prime Minister Netanyahu, but he had one good line. It would be like when they stormed Normandy and then Germany said, let us have a ceasefire. Who does that? It just makes no sense. Humanitarian pauses, fine. You need a corridor to allow Shifa to evacuate. Here's a corridor. You need to find a building where there's just civilians. We'll pause for a few, an hour for you to get out and be able to move on. I don't think that Israel should agree to anything more than that. But I think the bigger challenge, though, if we think for a moment, is we're now almost three weeks into the ground offensive in Gaza, mm. which has been in the north. Gaza was split up before this operation to five brigades by Hamas: two in the north, three in the south. They okay. still have some significant assets, infrastructure, weaponry, and fighters, terrorists in southern Gaza, places like Khan Yunus, Rafiaf, and others. If, we, if you have to, are going to go after that, this is not going to be simple. Because now you've moved most of the northern Gazans to the south. They are mostly isolated for now in this area where they've, there's that humanitarian effort underway in the southwest, I think it is. What are you going to do if you want to start to operate there? And you're going to be in a much crowded area. There's also nowhere to go to the north because you've destroyed a lot of the north. Exactly. Yeah. So... Which raises other questions of, OK, if we just end up the operation in two weeks or so and all we've touched is the north, we haven't really removed Hamas from power.
0: And there's also Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Where is their strength concentrated? They're also all over, much, much smaller
1: scale. Their people are fighting alongside Hamas and they're also getting killed occasionally and in, in clashes with the IDF. But the to be able to really say I've weakened Hamas to the point that Hamas can be tappled. And what I hear from IDF officials is we need to see significant destruction of Hamas. And we're Mm -hmm. talking about 60% of assets, 70% of assets, right? Israel's not yet there. And and how do
0: they then shift the operation to the South? I don't have a good answer to that. So I'll throw out one that'll never happen. Egypt opens up its border and allows the establishment of some kind of temporary refugee camp in the North Sinai Desert. So that Israel can go in and finish up the job, which we we all know is in both the interests of Egypt and Israel. There is a a, a tragedy that is playing out in Gaza. It's human tragedy. We
1: can't ignore it. I think it's on the hands of Hamas. It's terrible. People, the loss of civilian life, the loss of people's homes, the reconstruction that will have to take place at some point. It's going to be astounding. Yeah. But, and this is all, I think Hamas is all to blame. But the question that I've wondered is what you were saying about Egypt is, remember when the war in Ukraine broke out and Russia invaded Ukraine, the whole Europe opened up its gates to mm-hmm. millions of refugees, Poland and Moldova and the UK and, and all over. How many Arab countries are there and how many have opened up their borders to the, the people of Gaza? Zero have. Zero. Zero. Egypt has a border with Gaza, about 14 kilometers long. Yeah. Why are they not allowing people in? Because they don't want them. So I think that the world also needs to ask itself, for all their criticism of what Israel's is doing, why isn't Egypt taking in a single refugee, displaced person from Gaza? They don't want them. We
0: should take care of them, and they don't want them. No, so- we're going to end up with them in Canada, Yaakov, but the, I think that they should be taken in by neighboring countries and then repatriated when the war is over. But let's just get the civilians out of the way. The whole Gulf region wants Hamas destroyed, It's only Iran and Syria and the Houthis, the bad guys, and Hezbollah, who you know are cheering for Hamas. Canada too, I'm not sure. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited time subscription special, a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually. One year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. StateofTelaviv.com. All one word. Now, back to the podcast. So, I have to ask you this before we move briefly to the north, because I ask you this every time we speak. I think you're famously on record over years making the assertion that Hamas is not an existential threat to Israel, and I think I last threw that at you a few weeks ago. Would you still take the same position? Oh,
1: for sure. I'll explain to you also why, because it's look. This is a war, and it's a strategic challenge, and there's no question, and especially now with the Sensitivity in the north, which is a whole other caliber right. kill. But Hamas is Hamas. We lost on that first day, October 7th, 1,400, 1,500 people. Right? The death right. toll is still rising. We've had already about 40-something soldiers who have been killed inside Gaza. I drove down south today. The day we're talking, I was I actually visiting Kfar Aza, one of the When I left Jerusalem in the morning, uh, traffic was back to normal. Been like ready for a couple weeks. Yeah. Coffee shops are full. Restaurants are back to normal. Gaza is, is, is a war in Gaza. Even around Gaza, there's cars driving. You can't get so close to the border unless you're coordinated and you can right. get a, a convoy in. in. There's still occasional sporadic rocket fire. Is that a strategic threat to this? Well, no, it's not. What did you see at Khfraza today? What was interesting? What was going on there? Mostly to bear witness. I've been already a few times down south. I've been to a couple of the Kibbutzim now. Each one is different. Each one has yeah. its own different story. You go to a place like Nero's, where I was last week, and you see a lot of homes burned down. More, I felt, in Nero's than in Kwaraza, interestingly. But you also had about 75 of the hostages were taken from Nero's, which is almost like a third of the hostages. From Kwaraza, many more dead, but less people who were taken hostage. Why? Who knows? <laughs> it's so random. Have you been to Biarrigas? I've not been to Barry. One thing that I can tell you is the we're now five and a half weeks into this. The smell of death is still there. Really? Yeah. And you still have teams of Zaka, that rescue team that collects body parts that are still there going through some of the homes. It's like walking through Auschwitz, but worse. There's no other better way to, to describe it. But there's also fighting. You see how close they are. You see into Gaza. You see the smoke coming from Gaza. You hear the artillery shells every minute. They're still fighting down there. This is a war that hopefully will Israel has the time to keep going and
0: to get the job done. So let's just pop up north for a few minutes before we wrap up. Um, Lots of talk about things heating up uh, in the north with Hezbollah. What's your assessment of what's going on up there?
1: Look, Hezbollah is a much different threat for the state of Israel. Many more rockets, precision-guided munitions, soldiers that are more elite than the Nuhba, commandos who broke into Israel. These are the Red One commandos. They are would be a formidable opponent to the state of Israel. Is that an existential threat? I still don't think so. That is a wow, something we have never experienced. Um, am passing to fire five to ten, six, 7,000 missiles and rockets a day into Israel would overcome to a large extent our missile defense systems, be something that can cause a lot of devastation, a lot of destruction. Now, with that said, there's already a war going on there. And this is how people talk about the Americans don't want Israel to go to war there or not yet a war. No, there's a war. It's along the border. And every day they're firing anti-tank missiles and firing rockets. And today there were rockets that already went close to Haifa for the second or third time in the last couple of weeks. And yesterday there was an Israel Electrical Company worker who was killed in that attack on cars up north. This is happening every single day. And Israel is is striking back at Hezbollah, cells. They already have probably close to 100 people who are dead. Hezbollah, so their death death tolls climbing. This is a low scale, low intensity conflict. Now, the problem with the north, and this is where there's not really good options. You have evacuated tens of thousands of people from the north, right? Here at Shmona, Shlomi, Metula, all the Kibbutzim, all the Moshevim, everyone. Well, wow. how do you get them to go back home if Hezbollah is still on the border? Why would anyone in the right mind agree to go back to their home on that border, knowing that Red Juan commandos are just over the fence? So your options are really two. One, you somehow get the international community to put pressure on Hezbollah, and they're going to move everyone up north. Why would they do that? They've never done it. They were supposed to have done it back after the 2006 war. There was a UN Security Council resolution called 1701, which they violated every single minute, hour, day since then. So why would they suddenly do that now? So the second option is war, bigger war, all out war. That's not a good option for Israel. Israel wants to avoid that somehow. But again, I don't see how that I don't see how we do. And get the idea that let's first take care of Gaza and then if we have to take care of Hezbollah. But that could happen any day, Vivian. Any day that Hezbollah decides to do something bigger, greater, stronger could lead to
0: that type of conflict. That would be greater, bigger, stronger. So if the conflict flares up more in the north and it involves Hezbollah, which means that it involves Iran, right? Secretary Blinken and others have made clear that if the northern border heats up, they're going to become more involved on the ground. Is that correct? Is that something we can reasonably anticipate? I don't know. They
1: have deployed assets to the region, right? They've deployed the aircraft carriers and the nuclear submarine and all this stuff. Does that mean they're actually going to fight? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't see America joining the fray that quickly. It's mostly here for
0: deterrence. Yes, it's yeah, mo- I would hope that it would, the deterrent value would take care of everything.
1: You would hope, but you know what? Is it it's when President Obama laid down a red line to Assad to use chemical weapons? And right. He, and Obama never enforced those red lines, then maybe... yeah, yeah,
0: is- Yeah, no, that's what's interesting is that there's the deterrent capability, but then if Hezbollah does cross whatever line there is and there are many and america doesn't actually use its capability then it's what's it there for Correct. and we're back so to the I obama think, years we're back to the obama years where america just looked weak
1: i think america hasn't made the decision yet what exactly they did they fired missiles into fifa should america have already responded so what exactly are they waiting for why is Iran going, getting away with murder? Why are they granted immunity in all of this? That's a whole separate question. But I don't know that right now, yes, America has been good to Israel overall. When you look at the wider picture at the moment, if this escalates and America sits on the sidelines, we're in trouble. We're in trouble, not because of what could happen to Israel. Israel will be okay. We're in trouble because what does it mean for American power
0: in this region? And that, that's a whole other story. I'm not quite as rosy in terms of my outlook as you might be in terms of Israel will be okay, but I'll accept that. And we also have our friend Qatar, which we'll get into some other time. And we haven't mentioned the hostages at all because there's really not much to say that's new, is there? What has
1: said in the Israeli government position is that if there is a prisoner release, Israel would agree to maybe several days of a ceasefire, but that would require the release of all the hostages. I would probably argue, I would guess it would be enough to release even just the children and the women and the elder. If Israel could get that out, it would probably also agree to, to several days of ceasefire. That deal is not yet there. And I don't know if it will. We have to hope that there is some way to bring back some of these people, if not all of them.
0: Yes, I certainly do. Yaakov Katz, always illuminating, interesting, and uh, I enjoy speaking with you so much. Uh, Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Be well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, StateofTelaviv.com State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.